Blog Talk Radio. Let the show begin. Damn, y'all feel it? This is the Finesse Media Podcast, Season 3. Check it out. The number one show focusing on HBCU News. Hey. With guests, Ooh. entertainment, Ladies and, gentlemen. and surprise co-hosts. Put them in an awkward situation. Now, here is your host, Ken Finesse Media. Again, another episode where we talk to people that finesse in the game. And this episode is just like episodes before. I cannot wait to speak with my girl, Ricky D. Uh, Nelson Brown, uh, actress, uh, model, and also an entrepreneur. So congratulations on Virginia Street Boutique, my girl. I'll be talking with Ricky D. later on in this episode. And also, just like each and every week, we talk with people uh, that attended an HBCU. So each and every week on the Finesse Media Podcast, we highlight HBCUs, baby. So this week, uh, we're highlighting an HBCU all the way from that A-Town. Shout out to Jeezy uh, and Gucci Man who held it down for the versus battle. So we're going to bring it up with Clark Atlanta University uh, as our HBCU of the week uh, and join us to talk about his experience at Clark Atlanta University. It's my friend, brother, from the side chapter of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Publicist Leon Valentine will be checking it out with us, hanging out with us, and having some fun. And as you know, we have our sponsors. We got to pay it over to our sponsors. So this episode is brought to you by a couple of our sponsors, L-L-L-L-L-M Views. <laughs> I almost got tongue-tied. But LM Views, Latrice Murphy Views, uh, if you need your photography done, uh, the girl is crisp with the camera. So check her out, Latrice Murphy Views, and also L.M. Richardson. Uh, she's an author, uh, a young uh, author for young adult books. And her book, A Double Play Summer, you can get it on Amazon, um, Kindle, and then where any books are sold online and also in bookstores. So A Double Play Summer by L. Emma Richardson. Let's get into our sponsors. We'll be back with something brand new. Finesse Media Podcast Season 3. Latrice Murray Views Photography. Professional photography that won't break the bank. Latrice Murray Views Photography does it all with stunning photographs. Book your photography session today at LMViews photo at gmail.com which starts as the best summer ever quickly turns into a foul play DJ has to give up her bedroom and the most important softball tournament of her short career without DJ The team isn't confident they'll be able to make it past the summer softball showdown for a shot at Nationals, as it turns out. The summer wasn't a total bust, but was far more rewarding than DJ could have ever imagined. Unexpectedly, DJ makes the all-star team 
combats trauma, and goes on a date gigging with Jonah Payne. A Double Play Summer by L.M. Richardson can be purchased on Amazon in print or digital formats wherever books are sold and is also available in Kindle Unlimited. Uh, 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 thank you, Latrice Murray. Views and a double play summer by the author L.M. Richardson. Make sure you get that book. It is a good book. Uh, keeps you entertained. And then check her out, her website, uh, where you can see all of her old uh, or previous books. And then Latrice Murray Views, check her out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. What's up, y'all? We got damn back. Leon, what's up, man? I see you in the queue. We about to chop it up with my fret brother who attended the University uh, of the Week, our HBCU of the Week. If you're just popping in, if you're fast forwarding, because you just want to know, Clark Atlanta University, out of Atlanta University, I'm sorry, out of Atlanta, Georgia. Leon Valentine, my fret brother, man, going to tell us about his experience at that university. And without further ado, it's time for the HBCU of the Week. Let's get Historically it black colleges and universities commonly called HBCUs are defined by the Higher Education Act of 1965 as any historically black college or university that was established prior to 1964 whose principle was and is the education of black Americans and that is accredited by a nationally recognized accrediting agency or association determined by the Secretary of Education. It's now time for the Finesse Media Podcast, HBCU of the Week. As you know, I say it every week because it's the truth. It's my favorite part of the show. Until we bring our special guest on, Ricky D, joining us later in this episode talking about what she got going on. But right now, I'm talking about Clark Atlanta University, or CAU. Uh, Clark Atlanta University is a private Methodist historically black research university in Atlanta, Georgia. Clark Atlanta University is the first HBCU in the southern United States, founded September the 19th, 1865. As Atlanta University, it consolidated with Clark College in 1869 to form Clark Atlanta University. And in 1988, it was classified among the R2 doctoral universities in a high research activity. Clark Atlanta University out of Atlanta, Georgia, thank you so much for being our HBCU of the week. We holding it down in Dallas, but we love Atlanta, Georgia. And to talk about their experience, as I already hinted at uh, at the top of the show, is my friend brother from the side chapter of Phi Beta Sigma, uh, but also an alumni uh, of Clark Atlanta University, joining us for the first time on the podcast, my brother, my partner in business as well. What's up, friend? Leon Valentine. What's up, bro? How you doing, man? I'm glad to be here. Man, listen. <laughs> let's jump right into it, Clark Atlanta University, man. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about that experience, man. Thank you for joining the podcast, bro. No problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to. Man, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. So you attended. Let our listeners know. When did you attend Clark Atlanta University? What years did you go with Clark? So I attended Clark Atlanta. Um, 2011, so I graduated high school in May of 2011 and entered Clark Atlanta in the fall of 2011, uh, from being at home in Washington, D.C. to going straight to Atlanta, Georgia. 
Chocolate City, that's where you're from. You here, Washington D.C. Man, born and raised in Washington D.C. Washington D.C. You are. So we always want to know. A lot of people, you know, that are not from these cities, these HBCUs. Uh, you know, it's always asked, "How did you come to Atlanta? What brought you to Georgia, all the way from D.C.?" Well, the funny thing is, actually, a lot of people don't know about trade. I'm a barber, so I actually got denied to go to Clark Atlanta University. Um, it really wasn't until my guidance counselor at the time at Clark Atlanta, uh, Mr. Reed, who no longer worked there, you know, he really forced me to go there. So I applied to go to like 10 or 11 HBCUs. I got all denial letters, but I went to Clark Atlanta, you know, just on the hope and the prayer and the dream and the push from one of the admissions counselors. He saw something in me, and then I, you know, that was the only HBC to believe in me, so I packed my bags and I graduated and went down to Atlanta, Georgia. So that really, life has been good really ever since. So, <laughs> man, listen, Frank, listen, what, what, listen, that's cool. But, but you're right. Most people don't know. I didn't know you really was a barber. Uh, and do you still cut hair? This is something I, I, I didn't know. Yeah, I still cut hair. You know, I actually, I actually cut hair all throughout college. Um, I made a lot of money, especially during the weekends, but I cut hair literally all throughout college. I haven't really done a lot of it since graduating because I focus more on PR, but that's how I made my money yeah. in school, you know, and that's really, believe it or not, how I kind of got looked at by my fraternity because they knew I cut hair and I cut a lot of their hair beforehand. So, yeah, I still do it from time to time. Oh, <laughs> shit. No shit. No shit. I'm definitely sitting in the maze. Like, you know, I love... You know, a good barber, a good cut. So I didn't know that about you. Definitely, if you was here in Dallas, I'd be saying, what you got on your, on your calendar in two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I definitely want to uh, sit in your chair and, and get your skills. But attended Clark uh, Atlanta University. Of course, I don't think you major in cosmetology. What did you get, What did you get your degree in? So I actually got my degree in public relations. I actually was going to go to school first starting out in business. Um, but I knew, you know, they wasn't, I mean, the department, it was a great department, but I knew once I got there and I went to homecoming my freshman year, a lot of students who were like in the homecoming committee and who was really running it was PR majors. And I knew for me, I'm like, I don't know what they major they doing, but they're good. You know, like I want to be creative like that. I want to work on that type of stuff. And everyone I kept hearing from mm-hmm. it, you know, I asked to say, I'm PR, you know, I'm a PR major, a PR major, you need to be a PR major. So I'm like, well, I need to be a PR major. So. I studied public relations while I was in college and actually graduated with a mass media arts degree, which concentrated on public relations management. Dope, dope, dope. Yo. So, being at Clark Atlanta University, you rocking it out. We already said at the side chapter, five, eight, and six. So, you joined <laughs> uh, the Brotherhood, man. What was that experience like for you, man? And kind of what gave you uh, that interest uh, into five, eight, and six? Being okay. Um, it was great. You know, it was great for me. You know, I actually came through our centennial year, so that's always a special occasion. You know, not many people can say they crossed. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah, I know, Rollo. <laughs> Key, I, 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 whatever. Young man, yeah, you dropped that right there. The drop. You dropped the bomb. Like, oh, that's dope. That's mm-hmm. dope. So um, I came through our centennial year. But, you know, for me, you know, the major consensus I can say, you know, being at Clark Atlanta, um, but even so much more around the AUC and Atlanta general, a lot of the stigmas on campus are very humble, but they were business-oriented. A lot of our pro fights had a lot going for them um, before they were stigmas. Mm-hmm. And even if you didn't know they were stigmas individually, they were doing so many amazing things in life in general. So I looked up to that. And I'm like, I looked at the other fraternities. And, and of course, we were all young. The one thing that made me admire with them was their humility. Um, and seeing them, you know, to be really about business. And just, you know, like, I, I want to do well in school, but I'm really preparing myself for life. And it's still like that to this day. 
and they invested in me before I even would have sent a Sigma or an interest. Like, um, and I admired that. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to join a fraternity, I'm going to join a fraternity people that's really looking for my better interest as a person rather than just the interest being in your chapter. So, um, I, you know, reached out wherever and I was became interested and I eventually became a member. So. That's what's up. That's what's up. Go mob. That's definitely the the constant. You know, you hear uh, from a lot of brothers uh, from different campuses, uh, mob, and they say the same thing. Like I, you know, was influenced by the brothers that were on campus. They, uh, you know, took care of their business, uh, and they were all around kind of nice dudes. They didn't necessarily mm-hmm. wear letters. That that was a real big thing for me. I, I knew so many sigmas and didn't know that they were sigmas. That was the cool thing mm-hmm. for me being on campus or meeting Sigma uh, for the first time. Being from Chicago, you know, I'm like, I don't know what's, what's five minutes Sigma, really. You know, I mean, you in D.C., you should, you know, probably know all I, that. You know, the, the crazy part, you're going to laugh. Like, I actually grew up on Don't Sigma tell me you didn't really know about it. House. Don't tell me you had No, I never knew about it because they renovated it. So when I grew up, it didn't look like it did like that. And, you know, these, Kinley Street was considered one of the worst neighborhoods in D.C., so um, okay. growing up, I never knew what that building was because it didn't look as up-to-date as it did growing up. So I would pass it every day. I would go to the corner store and all that. My grandmother still owns the house on Kennedy Street, and I just never knew about it. Wow. Like, wow. I'm like, I would have never knew. I rode the bus. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm right here by my grandmother's house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's super dope. No, I, I, would, I, I would, then it would probably really hurt me if I did grow up and, and uh, grew up out of the house and was affiliated and didn't know. I had a teacher who I now know that, that was a member of Sigma Gamma Rho, uh, and she didn't even wear letters, I, I think, but she's super active. She's been active in Sigma Gamma Rho, I think, for well over 30 years. So, uh, no, so that's how it is. You meet mom on campus and you just don't even know that it, it's a mom, yeah. that they are already just, Guys who just, you know, kind of down to earth. So that's a cool thing. But you got to get off campus at some point, but you're still active with Sigma. But then you flipped it, taking PR on uh, Leon and continuing to push for, you know, what we know you as, uh, you know, and how you do it. So what are you doing um, post-college? What was that move post-college, that pivoting uh, moment for you, and you know, to start your own career or to get into your career field? So post-college, you know, currently right now I'm a publicist. Um, I folks, I'm working with a celebrity right now, of course, but I actually focus more so on helping small brands and businesses get PR and not even just that, but building strategy. Um, I would say college prepares me for that because my first internship and really only internship was working with, of course, Soror, um, Selena Johnson. You know, that was my first ever internship at all through college, so that kind of helped me. And then looking back almost 10 years later, um, since of being a freshman now, working for her, helping her with her PR, I mean, it's full circle, but in the grand scheme of things, really doing PR, social media strategy, digital strategy, and helping small businesses with, like, um, pitching them to the media, finding them different media angles, and, like, really helping them build their business up to get money. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so but before you get up out of here, I want to touch back on why you're here. Clark Atlanta University, uh, our HBCU of the week. Again, thank you, Leon, uh, and thank you, Clark Atlanta, for continuing to open doors for uh, individuals, particularly African-American, black folk, uh, and, and giving us that education uh, with a personal touch. And that's just it for my alma mater, uh, because that's the that's the also constant, I find, no matter what HBCU, right, Leon, that you went to, uh, or graduated Absolutely. from, it's that it's that same experience where you feel like it's home. It's 
is familiar. So, uh, Clark Atlanta, thank you for doing that. But what I was going to ask uh, before you, you know, you get up out of here, that experience on Clark Atlanta, what's that one memory that you have from being on Clark Atlanta where you go, this was a good choice. I'm glad I chose uh, this university. Of course not. Of course, the graduation. But what was the moment for you, or when was that moment on campus for you that you felt that Clark Atlanta was the choice, and you were happy with your choice that you had made? Hmm. You know, honestly, I think for me, really, was became a, was when I became a spokesperson for UNCF, um, and I actually was able okay. to go to the award show. But, but the whole year, I was able to like do a lot of advertisements. I was on a billboard and everything, um, and just seeing the school really back me. Um, to really speak on my college experience and how I how I actually got to college and just having the university back me and different alumni back me. I mean, it was magical for me being growing up in D.C. I would have never thought that. I would have never thought, you know, the school would have had so much support, you know, behind me. So that was a memory I even look back now. was like, I'm glad I chose this school. Like, this school has really um, molded me to grow as the person that I am now. And I mean, we really say the HBCUs really change and saves our lives, but they really do. Um, you know, if you come mm-hmm. from a small neighborhood or urban area to go, any opportunity to go into a black school, Clark Atlanta did that for me. So, of course, I'm a big advocate of HBCUs, but, of course, my HBCU, and I, I mean, I couldn't have made a better decision. Mm. Right here is the question I ask every uh, HBCU alumni, you know, that, that joins uh, for this segment. What do you say to those people, uh, and it's a good follow-up to what you mentioned about your experience at Clark Atlanta and that moment, but what do you say to people, Leon, that approach you or conversations that you've been in or what have you, or what would you say to this where folk tell you HBCUs doesn't matter uh, and the quality of education that you get from an HBCU isn't as great as the education that you will receive or a quality of education that you will receive at a PWI or a non-HBCU, uh, what do you say to that person? I would say, you know, look at all the numbers of rising doctors in America. I mean, look at our first vice president right now in the United States. Um, without an HBCU education, she would be the woman she is today. Um, without an HBCU, without an HBCU education, we wouldn't see as many doctors and lawyers that are African American come out of these programs and white, excuse me, because there are a lot of people who are white that go to Morehouse School of Medicine and Howard Law and all those big schools. Um, yes, sir. You yes, know, sir. you don't really, really see the praises in regards to the HBCU education. However, when we think of the Black cultural aesthetic and what it means to be happy, be in a family environment, um, going back to college and really celebrating, we get that from an HBCU. They may try to imitate it at other schools but it's based on the root of the happiness of an HBCU. So. Mm. They may try to emulate it, but it's all about the yeah. experience you have at HBCU. <laughs> that is important. That is true words, my brother. Leon Valentine, man. Side tap to 586 with my brother uh, for life. Let people know, bro, how they can keep up with you, how they can support ultimately uh, what you have going. If you are on social media, I say this as I don't know, but y'all make sure y'all check Leon out. <laughs> how folks can follow you, Leon? Yeah, so on Instagram, you can, uh, my page is at Leon R. Valentine. On my business page is at The Pitch Guy. Um, on Facebook, I'm just regular Leon Valentine. If you have any questions about PR or, you know, need any help or anything, just reach out to me. I'm active on all of it, so. <laughs> active and staying moving and keeping it moving and finessing the game, goddammit. So, Leon, I appreciate <laughs> you, my brother, uh, for joining this uh, episode and giving us, our listeners, myself, 
you know, a view and your perspective on the HBCU of the week, Clark Atlanta University, my brother. Thank you so much for joining tonight, bro. Thank you. Most definitely. We're going to keep this thing going because my girl Ricky just came on screen. Y'all know we virtual. So Ricky just came on screen. I can't wait to talk to Ricky about the things that she got going on. If you don't know my girl, she's an alumni from the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, so another HBCU chick. And she also uh, just launched her business, Virginia Street Boutique, which specializes in vintage and just real you will talk about it, but fashion at its best. So you're talking big hats. Y'all know I love the big brims. We're going to get into all of that and talk to her about something that I hadn't asked her about since we were in undergrad. It was something that we talked about uh, years ago, and it was something she did with MTV. I want to know if she remember that. So we'll be back with something brand new and with Ricky. Leon, appreciate you, bro. Damn. Y'all feel that? Online on demand. Another episode of Finesse Media Podcast, Season 3, and I'm your host, Ken Finesse Media. And as I mentioned to you before the break, we had someone on uh, that's finessing the game. So uh, this person is someone that I've, I've known and seen since college. Since last week, we had our other Finesse on. Shout out to P. Hall, man. I hope you check P. that episode Hall. out. <laughs> but this was somebody that was on stage. We talked about with P. Hall uh, doing plays and finessing the game. Welcome to the podcast for the first time. My girl, actress, model, Finesse, the whole bit. Ricky D. Nelson <laughs> Brown. What's up, baby? What's up? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That was a, a nice introduction. I like that. Oh, we have a lot of fun on the Finesse Media Show, man. So how you been, man? You're so colorful. I was saying before we hit record that you are definitely one of the stars of the show in terms of the wardrobe for this season. You are looking fabulous, man. How you Thank been? Thank you. I've been really, really good. You know, um, like, you know, I just started my boutique, so that's been having me, that's been having me running quite a bit. Oh, we're going to talk about I'm all just, that. Yes, I am juggling the boutique. I'm still doing makeup. I'm still doing beauty counter. I'm still full-time mom, um, still acting, still have an agent. So some days it's, it's really chill, but most of the time I'm busy. I'm running. Busy, busy finessing it. And that's what I wanted to have you on for because vintage, as you, as you mentioned, you're dressed apart. So, you know, uh, Virginia Street Boutique, we're going to talk about that. 
and uh, that new brand that you just launched on November the 1st, man. So continue to finesse the game. But for our people who don't know, again, I'll display the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff very proudly because you kicked ass on their campus. But from Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, tell our listeners, who is Ricky Nelson Brown? Yeah, well, um, born and raised in Little Rock, I, I graduated from Parkview High School, and Parkview was a, an arts and sciences magnet school, and we actually were able to major in, uh, well, they, they weren't, it wasn't actually, we got our diplomas, but we majored in a field in our, in our high school, and so I majored in vocal music, so I sang a lot at Parkview, and I was inducted into the Parkview Hall of Fame, um, we had real major, really major plays. Like we auditioned after school. It was like a full hired orchestra. Um, so theater arts was always a big part of uh, school for me. And then, as you know, speaking with P. Hall and doing the hip hop project, that was another huge thing that took us to D.C., to the Kennedy Center. You know, she talks about all that. I should have had mine. Dang, I should have had mine. I should have my glass. I'm jealous now. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. A, I'm, a, I'm a red wine drinker paper, So if you want to get up and do that, we can keep it moving <laughs> if, it's, if it's real close by. And I'm sorry I had to get up, too. And look at this fabulous picture of Ricky in the background, man. Just look at it, y'all, just for those that see it. I'm sorry. I, I want to make sure we get that. So I ran away. That looks good back there. That looks good. That's on sale for anybody who is looking. That is not yet on the website, but it will be tonight. So, there you go. Um. But yeah, anyway, grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, spent a lot of time in Pine Bluff. People thought I was from Pine Bluff because I was there so much. I was at everything, Garfield's, you name it, the Flick Twin, the Pines Mall, getting dropped <laughs> off on Saturdays and getting picked up when the mall closed. That was me. So uh, Pine Bluff is really, really special and near and dear to my heart. And that's what um, the idea of Virginia Street Boutique came from, because Virginia Street is one of the streets in Pine Bluff off Harding Road where my parents, my grandparents uh, lived and where my parents and my, my uh, aunts and uncles were raised. And it was in that house that I found my biggest fashion influence was my grandmother and also my mom. It's like crazy looking at myself right now because <laughs> I'm really looking at my mom. And yeah. anybody who knows my mom knows that this is all her. This is all her right so now. So talk to us about Virginia Street Boutique. We're going to jump right into it. I want to save it for our, our listeners because they're going to keep just basking in your fashion uh, watching you. But Virginia Street Boutique, you launched that since November the 1st. Congratulations. Uh, it, it speaks to, like you said, the street that you grew up on. So talk to us about that brand. What gave you the inspiration to start that brand? You know, um, I've always just had an appreciation. Well, first of all, I'll say that Virginia Street Boutique is a curated vintage and resale clothier. Um, so I've always just been inspired by vintage fashion. I see the movies Casablanca and Lady Sings the Blues, Harlem Nights, um, and I'm just like, wow, that era of, of fashion, they were so stylish and the women were so feminine and the men were such gentlemen and, um, if I could, if it was if it was socially acceptable, I would dress like that all the time. Like <laughs> Lady Sings the Blues, like Diana Ross. I would dress mm -hmm. like this all yeah, the time. Super fly. Just I mean those it ladies. It was just so fly. Mm -hmm. And the 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 way they carried themselves when they walked in the room, it was like the clothes really spoke. Like that hat is yeah. dope. For those that if you want to check this out, make sure on our YouTube page. The whole listen, the hat you're wearing right now, it's a bold statement. When you walk in the room, like I love the hat. 
So yeah, yeah. Anything from that era, just that the era. the way that the silhouettes were and how mm-hmm. they were so flattering to women's curves and women were conservative but they were still sexy and they still looked um, sensual and just super feminine. Mm-hmm. So um, I've always had that appreciation for vintage. I would help my grandmother get dressed for church and I would help her button her blouse and I would pay attention to like the stitching and the way her colors were and the buttons and mm-hmm. just everything was, was, it was just really, really feminine and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've, I've always admired, always admired my mother's style and she's a uh, chip off the old block of my grandmother, of course. So same thing, just the hat, my mom's a hat person. You'll probably never, she will get dressed to go to Walmart and look like this. Oh, wow. This is on what she, she will afternoon. put on makeup. She'll put on a bold lip. She'll wear a hat. She'll have her jewelry. And she will go to Walmart just like this. And you're the only child, so you're pulling from all of that energy. You didn't have to balance it or fight it with another sibling. And I am, too, the only child, so I know what that feels like. I already like. know that. Oh, yeah. It feels a good, it's a good time, right? Being the only child is super dope for me because... I have three kids now, and I'm like, wait, how do y'all balance this thing? And, I mean, they're trying <laughs> to still get it because they're little. But being the only child, you're pulling all that energy from mom and that vintage and that fierce attitude. Um, so yes. so as you're creating this brand, Virginia Street Boutique, how can people get it? And I know you just launched, but what's the vision for the company in terms of making sure your consumers can see this brand and be able to feel and touch it? Yes. So my um, website is live now. It's been live since November 1st. So everything that I carry that's available in my inventory is available on my website, which is www.virginiastreet, which street is abbreviated, S-T, virginiastreetboutique.com. I am available to meet clients here in Los Angeles. I actually had a sale today. I drove out to the Valley and delivered a hat to a client. So I'll do drop-offs. Um, and keep my mask on if anybody out there is uh, in Los Angeles or in this surrounding area. Um, but they can go to the website, and I'm going to start doing expos. I have my first expo on, I think, the 29th here. So I'll be setting up with my clothing rack and my hats and my shoes and all that good stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm really excited about doing my first expo. Um, what else is I going to tell you? Uh, the vision for Virginia Street Boutique. So I noticed that the the most response that I'm getting, the biggest response is, is about the hat. That is uh, what people are talking about. I see that's what people are putting in their shopping carts the most. People are interested in vintage and they are interested in hats. And I've also been complimented on the jewelry that I'm wearing on the site and I'm going to start carrying jewelry. I'm wondering if Virginia Street Boutique is going to be an accessories only Mm. Um, boutique at some point in time. It's possible. Jewelry, hats, shoes, handbags. It's it's possible. I'll just leave it at it's possible. Vintage is still where where my heart is with with vintage, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm willing to give the people what they want. I'm definitely going to be flexible. If I carry... What I talked to you about was changing Virginia Street Boutique to VSB Collection. And maybe the VSB Collection is just the vintage Mm -hmm. or just the accessories or, um, you know, I'm I'm still playing around with it. But Mm -hmm. I'm open to the idea of an accessories only boutique 
Um, and I'm also open to keeping keeping it as is and doing the vintage as well. And you're keeping you 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 keep things moving because actually when I first was introduced to Ricky, uh, you were on stage doing the hip hop project, but you were also seen on MTV and doing some production work on that show. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell? I'm like, look at our UAPV sis on there. Um, so you also dibbled and dabbled into some reality TV and some acting uh, while in college. Talk to us about that experience and, and you know, your opportunities that you had while in college doing that. Wow, I cannot believe you, bro. Oh, that was so much fun. Did you not think that was a classic? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did not. I put that so far out of my memory. That was so crazy. They so first played of all, you guys on that show, man. They did. And I wanted to know this, too. This was probably 13 years asking you now. I wanted to know, like, did you know about this? But I won't, I won't spill it. If you remember and can recall, let our listeners know how your experience was, because that was MTV, correct? Oh, my goodness, yes. That was MTV. And, you know, they posted a flyer in the communications department. So I'm a, I'm a mass communications graduate. So there was a flyer in our department that said that they were looking for a production assistant to work on a, the set of an MC, uh, MTV video. So I was like, oh, okay, so that's cool. You know, I'm in communications and dibbling, dabbling, journalism and, you know, different things. So I was like, that might be, you know, within my wheelhouse. I need to check it out. So I applied, I had an interview, um, and it was a serious interview. There was nothing at all that let, let me know that this was, was anything like a- but what they said that it was. So interviewed a couple of times, got the call, you've been chosen to be a PA on a, the set of a music video. And they made sure that none of us had any experience before. Mm-hmm. None of us had worked on set before. So the things that we were asked to do, we had no idea that these things were phony and they were being facetious with us. <laughs> we didn't know. So they fly me, all expenses paid out to um, out to Santa Monica. I'm sorry, the I'll, I'll get to that part. I was in Hollywood, worked in Hollywood. The, the uh, video was being shot. Um, I think it was Hollywood as well. I know Monica was one of the singers. Okay. Nick Lachey was one of them. Gosh, I can't remember who the other couple of people were. They, uh, they were people who aren't, they aren't performing at this point in time. I can't remember who the other ones were, but Monica was one of the biggest names that they had on the show. So mm-hmm. we get there and day one, I am asked to hold a water hose <laughs> because they're going to create rain. We've never been on set before. We don't know. So really, they wanted to set your girl up to be the first one to get fired, to go home, because what they did was wet my whole entire head. Black girl, <laughs> hair is wet. She's about to flip. It's about to be over. Uh-huh. I stuck it out. Mm-hmm. I, I was wet, and I was soaking wet. My hair was ruined. Of course, I came to California looking cute. Because mm-hmm. so they showed they this scene on TV, right, too, right? Yeah. You get wet. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I stuck it out, um, stayed a little bit long. Every day someone got fired. That was the premise of the show. Mm -hmm. Every day someone leaves. Um, They had us just doing the most unreasonable things. I think the next thing that was crazy that they had me do was fill in for a dancer because (laughs) one of them uh, called out some kind of way and they were like, oh, Ricky, I think you can wear the outfit. So... (laughs) you get body painted in this outfit and then we're going to hang you up from the ceiling and uh, you're going to dance. You're going to, and I'm like, 
Because it I kept getting know. crazier and crazier Aerialist. for you. It kept getting crazier and crazier. It got crazier and crazier. Again, they thought they had me when they painted me, and I think it took them about seven hours of me standing with my arms out, um, not, not able to eat. I wasn't able to drink. Somebody came in and fed me, and I was like, this is really weird. This mm-hmm. is really weird. So finally, they fired me over something. I cannot remember exactly what it was, but it was something really minor. Mm-hmm. And I, I recall when they said, Ricky, we're going to have to let you go. And my mouth dropped open. I was like, all about <laughs> all the things you've done and been through and put up with. Uh, and I'm fired. And go. on that moment, they froze it. And then it went black and white. And then they went to commercial. I was like, they really, really fired me. I was really upset. I was like, is this going to be on my resume? I got fired. I've never been fired before. And I got fired from this dream job. Right. Something you've never done before. You thought you were going to be out there killing it. Did they tell you immediately like, okay, this is a reality show. Go back home. Don't say anything. Or did you realize this was a whole prank when you watched it with us? So when they took me to sign my exit paperwork, I went to the back where everything was being recorded, where all the real production assistants and producers were. And they're like, surprise, Uh, (laughs) making the video, not making the video. And I was like, what? What What is going on? And they hugged me. They were like, you were so great. Um, Yeah, this is all fake. So we're going to shuffle you out to Santa Monica Mm -hmm. and you're going to stay on the beach. And uh, okay. you're going to have fun and you're going to live it up. And I was like, wow, I was really living it at that point in time. I've never been in California and they were really taking care of us. We were going to dinner. We were on the beach. We were here. We were there. We had a limousine. So they kept like, you guys I got there. fired on day one. <laughs> they kept you there on site. Right. Day one, you're out of here. Uh, but they kept you on site so that you just wouldn't go home and, and spill the beans. Well, they, they brought us all together at the very end. Okay. At the very end, we all joined uh, back together in um, Santa Monica, and they had us do some things together. Like, we recorded a song together, okay. and they took us to the Hollywood Hills, and then they gave us, like, video cameras and shirts and all this stuff. So, But, yes, they did take us out of the hotel in Hollywood, and um, we were all staying in Santa Monica. The other part of the cast who was fired, they were there waiting for me. Oh, wow. That's super crazy. No, that's a big shock, too. But I saw that, and I was like, yo, I wonder if she knew, you know, if you were, you know, that you were being pranked uh, as you No clue. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. But that was an opportunity, right? I'm sure. Because now you're on TV, you got the experience, and it, it kind of humbled yourself. It showed yourself. I don't know if you ever were able to use those tapes and what I will go to next. Because now you, I see your Star Kiss commercials fish or tuna the star kids uh, tuna commercials and so it landed you maybe in some of these commercial roles um to you know how was that being in different commercials well i don't think anybody in la knows that i was on a reality show okay i don't think anybody knew that at all really when you get an agent here um Gosh, it's so many, so many actors here. It really is like a huge pond and a whole lot of fish in it. Um, but, but they don't no, care that you have been agent, on this show and you can show tape and footage of, you know, you being humble and kind of being no. pranked and not knowing it. Oh, they didn't give a damn. Well, it's no. L.A. It is L.A., so. No, they did not. 
nobody would look at that. But as who does it matter? Any... Because you still kick the door down and you got the role and you own set and you're being in commercials. So right, right. How was this so experience? So about that, I'm sorry, go ahead. How was this experience for you? Yeah, so um, L.A. is really big on on educating yourself and knowing not only from a technical standpoint how to audition, but there's a certain etiquette that's expected. When you come into the room, things that you do and don't do, you never want to appear green. Um, they say that a lot. You want to look like a seasoned actor and you want to um, use the, the skills that, that you've been taught. And I shout out to Coach Mike Pointer. He is an amazing acting, uh, commercial acting coach here. Uh, I took level one and two. It's called HeyIsawYourCommercial.com is the name of the website. And Coach Mike really took me to the next level and, and gave me the tools that I needed to start booking, to get comfortable, to get confident, to learn how to um, audition when there's a group of people, because that's, that's a little bit different than you auditioning by yourself, finding your moment. Um, like I said, finding your confidence. I learned a lot in, uh, hey, I saw your commercial. He calls it the Heisick method, mm-hmm. uh, which stands, you know, the, the, hey, I saw your commercial letters. So, yeah, Coach Mike is absolutely amazing. He's been in business a long, long time. If you remember, gosh, I can't remember what year it was, but it's the Olympic commercial. It's a black guy, and I think he's shown as a young kid running and then he grows up and he grows up to be coach Mike. He, he mm. I wish I could remember what year it was, but it's an Olympic commercial and it's really, really one of the more popular ones from back in the day, but he took me to the next level. Um, and yeah, I was able to apply a lot of that and book several network national commercials here. So it's all about the education. You really can't just come in from anywhere into LA that's and what I was, start booking. You, that's what you, I was you say. have to know the etiquette. That's what I was going to ask you about because coming from, you know, Arkansas, and I want to get back to uh, your undergrad experience uh, following this, but coming from Arkansas, uh, going to, you know, LA, as I mentioned to our girl, you know, our sister girl, uh, Precious, coming from Oak Cliff to Hollywood, you're Arkansas and, and being in L.A. How was that transition for you? But my second part to that question is kind of what has been your motivation and kind of key point and factor to really sustain, you know, being out there with so much competition? That's a good question. Um, first of all, the transition was I can't say that it was a difficult transition because I've lived on my own in, in major cities before. I lived by myself in, um, in Dallas. I lived in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, you know, is only four hours, four and a half hours away from L.A. So I spent about three years on the West Coast before I, before I moved to L.A. Only thing about L.A. is it's very congested. It's very big. And like you said, there's a, there's a lot of competition. So um, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, I can't say that it was difficult. I, I do feel like LA has pulled everything out of me that I have. And for that, I'm really, really grateful. Like I always say, I am Arkansas raised, but LA made. LA like made me um, a hustler. Mm. LA made me a hustler. I have had to pull every strength and gift that I have out of me. I've had to challenge my way, myself 
in so many ways that I never imagined. I've had to step out of my comfort zone. I've had to um, go through a rigorous Meisner method acting training that I was in for, I think I did two years or three years of this training program that really taught me how to get out of my head. And so for these reasons, I've been confident auditioning. Um, and I think that that's been the key to longevity and staying is when you keep your confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, I am not booking a whole lot of things at the moment, but I am getting availed and getting called. So what happens when you're on a veil, it's the best thing that you can do next to a booking. So you go on an audition, have this one audition, they're going to call you back. You're coming in for callback. So after your callback, they're going to put you on a veil, meaning they want you to be available for this commercial if they're going to um, choose you. Well, they're definitely gonna, going to shoot it, but they, they have you in mind. Okay. It's just something else that they need to look at. Maybe they need to look at you next to whoever the hero or the star of the commercial is. Maybe you're too tall. Maybe you're too short. Are you going to work out if you are supposed to be the mom? This is the kid that they want. Are you going to look like this kid's mom? It's something that's really beyond your control when it comes to the avail status. And I've been in the avail status quite a bit <laughs> last year and this year. I think this year I've been on avail probably three or four times for um, different jobs that have not booked. But again, it can't get much better. The only thing better than an avail is an actual booking. So it's something that um, shows my agent that I'm doing what I need to do in the room and that I'm still confident and that the casting is still, uh, they're noticing me and they're, they're, you know, they're pleased with what I'm doing. I just didn't work out for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking it's still cool too, because you can't, one thing you can't lose on yourself. So you're betting on yourself each and every time you're going out there presenting yourself, uh, and being available, right. Using that term, but then also, uh, keep, putting your name out there. I think that's also yes. key too, that your name is there. They're, they're saying, okay, I see you. I see you. It's kind of funny too. And I, 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 I'm got my shift here because I do want to go back to undergrad because it reminds me, right? When people will continuously go to uh, informationals and they will continue to go and they go and they go, why are you going? They're not even choosing you, but they're showing their presence or they're being a part of certain programs. It reminds me of their undergrad experience, um, but you're being present. And I think that's important. And you talked about your agency, uh, Genesis Artist Agency. This agency that I see that you're probably with, with doing some modeling, as we see, is this the same agency that puts you on for a veil for different projects, or this is another agency? Because I want to talk to you about that experience or that partnership. With that yeah, agency. this is the agent that, that puts me on a veil for okay. different print jobs and different commercial bookings. I actually um, was represented by another agent out of Atlanta because there are two different ages that you need. You need a commercial and you need mm -hmm. a theatrical. Okay. Theatrical is not theater. It is for TV and film. So I was actually dropped from um, my other Atlanta agent because I did not want to keep auditioning for crackhead roles. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yes. that's, <laughs> that too. it's like, right, because that's the image. It's like, you. that's what you see. It's, that's the image. Like, you see me as a crackhead. So, no. But no, seriously, though, are you are you getting, like, calls for crackhead roles? Constantly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Crackhead. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say crackhead in right. the in the in the breakdown, but 
you know, she's battered, she's struggled, she's mm. had a tough time, she's a prostitute, she's been around the block a lot. Um, yeah. That's not I, what I've had a couple of those, what, but... You go ahead. I think that's not what you would represent fully and give off, you know, in a powerful role. I mean, I don't know, Halle Berry did it, right? But you, with so much, you know, with so much character and beauty, I think they definitely can find something else for you uh, than a crackhead role. Um, yeah, I mean, but there are a ton of actors who don't turn down any audition for any reason. So if they have somebody that's turning down one or two um, here and there, like, we don't really need you. We have other actresses who would go out and, and go out for all the prostitute roles and all the crackhead roles, and they're going to be the best crackhead and prostitute that they can be. And I just don't want to do that, you know? Yeah. I decided, and this is my struggle in Hollywood a little bit, I decided that I don't want to, um, I don't want to portray a character that my son can't watch and say, look at my mama. That's my mama right there. I'm proud of her. I want him to be proud of everything that I do. So um, I'm a little bit more limited because these are some of the entry roles, entryway roles, if you will, um, into the industry. Crackhead, mm -hmm. drug addict, prostitute, you know. And it it's should just be not changing. anything I'm interested in. Yeah, and it should. It is so old, and you did it. I think it's like, come on. I mean, this 2020. Are you, you still like even creating these types of roles? Um, yeah. I mean, not even for nothing. I mean, it's it's the reality. So I I, I get it. But I certainly want to move past that and kind of bring it back up because being an actress, being uh, as we mentioned and just talked about, as being a model, uh, a businesswoman, girl, you're doing it as a mom too and as a wife. So. How is that? How is it being married to Marcel Brown? Because he's finessing the game. He's so busy. You know, he's taking, you know, clients and he's in his own brand. So you're a big brand and you're juggling it while doing all these other things. So how is it being the mom? You got big Edison, you know, your son. How is it juggling all these different things while still being a mom and a wife? Um, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, Marcel is doing his fitness thing, the Marcel method is picking up. He's uh, partnered with, um, it's called T3 Power Ready. And they, they have these sandbags that they fill up with sand and they use them to lift weights with basically. It's like a beach workout type thing. So he's doing this and he's training and he is um, just all in he's like 12 hours a day working on, on building his fitness business. So if he's working 12 hours a day, most days a week, that means mom is doing the kid. You, you, you got three kids. Woo. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even wrap my brain around what that must be like, especially if, if um, you know, she was a stay at home mom, but yeah. So no, Edison is a big mommy. guy. Mm -hmm. What'd you say? No, I said my wife's a stay at home mom. Yeah. So she is. Yeah. Eight months and three and four. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Bless her soul. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. She's the real MVP. She is the real bit. She is the, the real MVP. But yeah, so Marcel is moving around. Shout out to my friend brother Blue Fire. Uh, you know, you guys are a dynamic team, but you're making it work and you're juggling these things, but it's not easy though. It's not easy. No, no, it's not. It's not. And you know, um, Edison is auditioning, Marcel is auditioning. So any given time during the week, 
we might have, Edison might have one, I might have one, he and um, Marcel might have one. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of juggling. Oh, but so you it guys are packaging done. the whole family together. Yeah, yeah, oh. families are really booking right now, especially in these COVID times. They don't really want you going in the room with somebody that's not in your household. They're trying to keep the households together. Mm. So, um, yeah, families, this is the best time for families to be booking um, commercial work. But you're getting your son into, you know, the, the industry of modeling or acting or both. Yeah, yeah, both. He goes out for both. He has booked uh, two commercials, actually. He booked a Target commercial when he was about 10 months. Oh, wow. Uh, but at that age, they book several babies because they don't know. This baby might not work. This baby mm -hmm. might have a breakdown. Mm -hmm. So I think he was like the second baby or something like that. He didn't actually get to shoot. Uh, he got paid, but he didn't shoot for Target. But he did do Cox Cable, I believe it was. He and Marcel together did Cox Cable. So, yeah, he, he, he's great. He's, oh, yeah. I think he's the real star of the family. Oh, this honestly. whole family is finessing the game. The, the, the game. God damn. <laughs> I think that he is the star. He is okay going in the room um, with another play mama or, or play daddy, and he just has a good time with it. They love him on set. That is interesting. Not so much that he has your talent. You know, it's just that it's falling down, and, you know, you got dad with full talent as well. Being out in L.A., um, I know you, you you dealt with so much, and you know, battling uh, with the environment that's being around you with the competition and being in so many different auditions. What is that quote that has kind of resonated and that stays in the back of your mind when you're still getting up day to day, pushing through and persevering? What's that quote? That would come from my grandfather, Benjamin Darrow, who uh, passed away two years ago in December. Mm. Um, he told me, and I say this to myself all the time, he's like, Rick, you already got your feet wet. You Wait, just what got was to that wait name? On through oh, it. Rick. Yeah, yeah. Lots of my friends call me Rick, actually. But yeah, that was, that's what he said. He said, you already got your feet wet. Now you just got to wait on through it. And mm -hmm. that's what I think. I've already got a taste of it. I've already, you know, um, I've been here for almost nine years. And nobody is an overnight success here. There are people here 10, 15 years. Shout out to my friend, my sister. Her name is Nika King. Um, I can't tell you how many years Nika's been here, but I know it's been over 10, maybe closer to 15 years that she's been here on the grind. And she is now playing Zendaya's mom on uh, Euphoria on HB HBO. Okay. So, um you know, it's just, you got to keep going. You got to keep at it. You really, really do. And I'm going to take it back to the undergrad days because I think that's kind of what we started as your, your grandfather said, get your feet wet and wave through it. And that's great advice and sound advice. And a lot of times going through the HBCU experience can get difficult. And each and every week on the Finesse Media Podcast, we spotlight an HBCU we did right before you came on. Um, but what would you say uh, your experience at an HBCU or how did your experience at an HBCU prepare you for the woman that you are today? As we have the new uh, vice president-elect Kamala Harris, who's an HBCU alumni from Howard University. So it's black girl magic. And so I would like to know what your take um, is on how being in an HBCU influenced you, you know, as the woman you are today. 
You know, I think that, and I keep bringing this word up, um, confidence. Mm. When you're around your people, you push each other. You uplift each other. It's never, it was never an environment where I felt less than, I was demeaned, I uh, wasn't taken seriously, I wasn't heard, I wasn't seen. Um, and I don't think that I would have had that experience elsewhere. I think I would have possibly found it and made it happen, but mm -hmm. it was such an organic thing, the chemistry that you have with, with your people, mm -hmm. you know? So um, that positivity and that confidence that it gave me, I think it really, really pushed me to, to keep going because I know that my people are proud of me. I know that, you know, when, when somebody that I went to school on the yard with, they see me on XYZ, I know that, that I've made those, those people proud and that bond that we shared in uplifting each other and pushing each mm -hmm. other. Um, I, I think that that's, that's really helped shape me into, into the woman that I, that I am. Yeah, because in an HBCU, you get that experience. As we say it, I'm a modest education with a personal touch. Uh, it feels good. Uh, you, you're familiar. You, you're not in competition. And I think right. Kamala Harris, who said it actually on The Breakfast Club, was that at an HBCU, you couldn't make that uh, argument that you didn't get something, whatever that is, because of the color of your skin. It was really yes. because of the true talent or lack thereof uh, presented. You know, it wasn't about, you know, your non-ability or your, uh, your, your skin color. So that's really what I love about the HBCU experience. But with yeah. that being said, I also ask each and every, uh, Vanessa, again, we bring on people that's finessing the game, like yourself again, Ricky. Thank you so much for joining us on this special episode. Absolutely. Uh, because you are finessing the game. But we do ask each and, our, each and every one of our finessers, who's finessing the game for you, Ricky? Who's that person that you say, listen, that person or even brand that's killing the game for you? Mm, that person is killing the game. I would have to say my girl X Mayo. Okay. Shout out to X Mayo. Sochi is her name, but uh, she's Afro Latina. Okay. <laughs> and X, um, her Instagram is eighty dollars in a suitcase. Whoa. That's <laughs> what her. That's where her, her Instagram Heller name is. Eighty dollars and a suitcase. I am about to follow you, um, ma'am, right now. <laughs> if yes. you're watching this, I'm X already following is you. finessing the game. Now, she is uh, a native of L.A., but wasn't getting, um, and wanted to be in the industry, wanted to be an actress. She wasn't getting, you know, the type of recognition that she should get. She wasn't getting the calls. She wasn't getting what mm -hmm. she needed. So she packed up with $80 in a suitcase and went to New York. Mm -hmm. Um and thrived and flourished wow. in New York. She uh, eventually got a job with uh, The Daily Show. So she writes for Trevor Noah, um, which is absolutely huge. And Wait. she started, yes, yeah, she started an improv group um, called Who Made the Potato Salad? And it's a show that is written and uh, all is written in one day. The whole entire show was written in one day, and it's a huge hit. It's been recognized on so many national platforms. She's done interviews, and um, so much has come out of Who Made the Potato Salad. And I've been to it. It's amazing, amazing, and amazing, phenomenal show. 
Um, and she also recently booked a series regular role. <sighs> don't ask me what the name of it is. I know that it's on NBC. I, don't quote me on that. I really don't know. It's not out yet, but it will be. It will be um, next year, and I'm super proud of her. She is absolutely finessing the game. Most people think that you got to get it here in L.A. You really don't, you know? You really don't. You got to go with your heart, follow your heart, even if it means packing up with $80. Now, I couldn't do it at this point in time. <laughs> right. um, I can't pack up with $80 in a suitcase. But I, I respect her hustle and her work ethic, and she left here, and she made it happen, and now she's going to come back here and, and shoot her show and just keep finessing the game. No, that's definitely dope. Okay, well, we're going to follow her handler. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, another off-topic question I was going to ask you. Now, knowing you, and I always thought Ricky looks like Ricky. But recently, I said, you know what Ricky looks like? You look like Tabitha Brown. She's some YouTube person or Instagram person. Have you heard of her? I have, and I have been told several times that um, – People thought say, that minute, we were the same person. Is she from Pine Bluff? I said, wait, when did she? I said, they're doing it together. You guys are related. But she looks like she can be a friend to the family uh, or a very close relative, I should say, of yours. We're from the same tribe, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure if we traced it back, I'm sure we would probably be from the same tribe. Okay. I don't know her personally. I've seen her in the audition room before. Um, super gracious, cool. Really, really excited to continue watching her journey and um, have been inspired by, by, you know, some of the vegan dishes and things that she shared. I dibble and dabble. Sometimes I'm vegetarian. Sometimes I'll do veganism for a little while. But, yeah, it's really, really amazing to see. Like, it just takes that one moment, that one thing. Like, it started out for Tabitha with her doing the video from a whole food sandwich that she she ate. That's really okay. where her career took off from yeah, the video. I don't know where she, she came from, him. but she's just this breath of fresh air actually that was on the explore page. And I say it came a couple of times and I go, yo, I need to follow this lady every day uh, to get some of this uh energy. Cause that's where yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So I have no idea how she started, but from a whole food sandwich. Yeah, wow. that video that went viral of her talking about a sandwich. Get out, but that's how you got to do it. You gotta stay present, and that's the you know, the space we're living in. Uh, we and you gotta be yourself. You have to be yourself. And that's one thing that she said, um, I read in an interview or maybe on her Instagram, I can't remember, but she tried to turn her accent off. She tried to get rid of it um, in order to become a more desirable actress or whatever the case was. And it was when she really started owning her, um, just her, mm -hmm. she started owning her persona, her hair, her style, her, her, um, her, her dialect, how she talks, is when doors started opening. So that's the, that's the best thing that you can do is be authentically you. Um, and I think that the opportunities will come because nobody can do you better than you can do yeah. you. And that's what people respond to. I, I've, I've been a salesman, not now, but in the past. And people will, you know, uh, try to run, you know, sales game. And I would say, listen, people don't want to buy from salespeople. They want to buy from people. And then now the kind of... I guess, era or, you know, yeah, the era we live in, you really just can't because people see you. And then if you're going to be on social media, you might as well just be who you are. These folks, you know, they get on the reality TV or any, any right. place where there's a camera, just be yourself because that's the people that really going to, that's, that's really going to gravitate to you. And it's going to really support your brand for sure. For Absolutely. Sure, for sure. 
as we're going to keep doing, supporting Virginia Street Boutique. So let us know again how we can get something with this. Not myself, my listeners, though, and I got a wife, but real talk, these hats, they're unisex. So let us know, include myself now, how you can get these items, man. Yes, they are unisex. Um, some of them um, guys are gravitating to a, a couple, of, and maybe I should make a note of that. There are some that guys tend to gravitate more on the website, but this is a new color that's coming out very soon, oh, probably going to put it on the website tonight. But you can go to my website, www.virginiastreetboutique.com, and uh, everything is there. You can just order it straight from the website. That's what's up. That's what's up. Ricky D. Nelson, thank you so much for joining the podcast. You got to come back. Thank you for having me. Listen, I know you're going to continue to build this brand, and Virginia Street is going to turn into a whole um, city. And then we have the collection, you know, you roll those things out. And how do you feel, uh, another sidebar question, because I see it a lot too, and I'm not sure this vintage stuff, so this may not be in any way of comparison, but um, folks selling jewelry on their Facebook for like two cents. Have you seen that crazy stuff? <laughs> I have not seen it. I can't think of the name of the jewelry spot, but it's like a also not a team or a pyramid thing, but there's a lot of people they, that, that does it. So I see folks that's in like Chicago doing it, uh, where I'm from, uh, folks that's here in Dallas, um, where I'm at now, and they'll be like on their live and they have a whole lot of jewelry in the background. It really selling it for like $5. I'm not lying. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I have seen this. This paparazzi. There you go. That's it, paparazzi. I thought it was brilliant. You know, I'm not a, you know, a shade thrower. I just thought it was brilliant. So that's not something along the lines of, of vintage or something that you would think about doing with the vintage brand? Um, No, that's a totally different lane. I do have a couple of friends that are into paparazzi. It's a, um, I believe it's also a direct sales. I'm selling Beauty Counter, which is direct sales of um, skincare and, um, and uh personal care products for the whole family. That's, that's more in my okay. lane. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for authentic vintage pieces that's, that are going to be one of a kind, only one uh, available. That's more in my lane. But yeah, paparazzi is really hot right now. And there are people who make a lot of money selling this $5 jewelry. Yeah, I'm like, yo, they on my time like all day. I'm like, listen. <laughs> yes, yes, paparazzi. That's what it is. Yeah, paparazzi jewelry. Uh, but, you know, if they're doing that, you know, that's in their own right. But Virginia Street Boutique, check it out. Yes. Make sure you follow the page. Show this girl some love, man. Ricky, again, thank you so much, Queen, for thank joining you. the podcast. You're finessing the game. And uh, I'll see you uh, the next time you come on because you definitely got to come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Have a good night, Ricky. Good night. <laughs> Damn. Y'all feel that? Online on demand.
Thank you. Thank you.